Welcome back to the Dungeon of Delirium podcast. We're Chelsea and Kevin. Your tour guides through the dark, cobweb-infested dungeon corridors. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to our first episode. The reception has been great, and we still have such sights to show you. Or such sounds for you to hear. It doesn't quite have the same ring. We're excited to announce our Patreon, where you'll find bonus content and mini-episodes over the summer during our hiatus and beyond. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, give us five stars, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Dungeon of Delirium. Tonight's tale finds Marcus lingering just a little too long at a house party. When the fun goes sour and the good times get bad, you can do little but look on in horror. We'll return after the credits roll for more details on our first full season launch this fall. The Grinning Throat. A single bloated cigarette butt circled aimlessly in my half-empty cup of beer. I'd been gone for less than two minutes, a sure sign I stayed at the party too long. Setting the beer back down on a sticky coffee table, I lurched up from the couch. Bro, sorry about that. That was my bad. I'll get you another. I think his name was Carl. All good, man. I should get going anyways. Parties are a glass of milk on the counter, souring quickly. Sometime after the clicks of conversations consolidate in the living room, when coke is replaced or supplemented with weed, and before the fucking acoustic guitar comes out. I'm about to spark up a joint, play some records. It'll be chill. I thought about it for a moment. I wanted to leave, or maybe just knew that I should. Uh, All right, yeah, sure. I was never very good at sensing that sour milk. The living room was dotted with stragglers still holding on to a dwindling coke buzz as the sky outside turned from black to dark blue. The sounds of crickets comforted us all, though it was still a little fun to be had. Carl? The man who used my beer as an ashtray sat on the dingy floral couch next to me. He had a manic energy, something my friend Tom would have called gas station white guy vibes. He was thin, almost skeletal, but there was an uneasy, almost violent tension about the way he carried himself. The kind of guy that probably had a gun, the kind of guy who probably pull it out on someone, but probably never shoot it. Probably. He was very clearly a dealer, and it seemed he was not very well liked by the others. He was, of course, tolerated out of necessity. Sandra sat on a futon across the room. It was her house, though I didn't really know her. My friend Tom had a huge crush on her, and he dragged me to see her play at more than a couple of cafes. She was a great musician, and she knew it, but not in an arrogant way. Now, she was sipping what looked to be red wine out of a sippy cup, which she spilled on the MC Hammer t-shirt she tucked into her green skirt. Carl, roll that joint you keep talking about. Give me a fucking second. Carl grabbed a bag of weed from his gym shorts. Ayo, Dev, grab some papers. Devin was Sandra's roommate. He seemed like a snowboarder type, 
but by appearance only. I hadn't spoken a word to him all night. His hemp bracelet and pajama pants made me think I was on the money, though. Devin got up from the folding chair he'd been perched on and left the room silently, bumping into the guy in the suit sitting in the threadbare armchair by the window. I hadn't talked to him either. I'd gone to college with guys like him. The classics departments had been filled with them. It was an invitation to get lectured about Chaucer or Tolstoy like I hadn't read them. He even wore a goddamn ascot. The guy in the suit didn't seem to notice Devin bump into him, even as his flask spilled whiskey onto the end table as he was pouring it into his glass. Too drunk or too affected to be bothered. Sandra's friend Grace came back into the room from the kitchen, holding two cups of beer. She handed one of them to me. Here. I saw Carl defile yours earlier. Thanks. I'm Marcus. I think we met at one of Sandra's shows. Grace. Yeah, I remember you. She sat next to Sandra on the futon. Grace was a painter. Her paintings were hanging in some of the very same cafes Sandra played in. I think she worked at one of them. They were really good. She knew it. Also not in an arrogant way. Her jeans had specks of yellow paint on them, as did the oversized white shirt she draped over them. It was practical, not fashionable, but in a confident and unbothered way. She didn't seem to care much about being fashionable. I admired that because I've never been so unbothered in my life. In a way, her lack of concern about fashion made her fashionable. I wish I could pull that off. Why didn't Tom come tonight? His stomach was bothering him, I guess. Devin returned holding rolling papers in a lighter. Carl went to work on the joint as Devin resumed his spread equal position on the chair. The guy with the ascot pulled a cigarette from a metal cigarette case and lit it, still paying little mind to the rest of us. Of course this fucking guy had a case. An American spirit pack would be too obscene. So, uh, which one of them you trying to fuck? Carl asked me, motioning to Sandra and Grace with a wave of a hand not looking up from the joint. Excuse me? You heard me. You're lingering here for a reason. Who you trying to fuck? Carl shot back up looking up with an expression that told me there was a right and wrong answer to his question. I'm not, man. I'm just... Come on. Which one? Neither. I'm not. Neither. Gun to your head. Which fucking one? Nobody else seemed to hear his inquest. Sandra and Grace were having their own conversation. Something about Grace getting a dog from her brother. I absorbed bits and pieces but Carl's intense stare drew me in. There was always one person this late at the party that had a dark energy about them, creating an uneasy tension through the cocktails of various substances and unfamiliarity. That's why you leave before the milk gets sour. Well, there's no gun to my head, so my answer stays the same. Are you going to finish rolling that joint or do I fucking need to tag in? I responded with adrenaline coursing through my veins. Relax, I'm fucking with you. Carl turned his attention back to the joint. Stop being a dick, Carl. Sandra shouted across the room. I breathed out, unclenching the fist I didn't even remember clenching. 
I heard the sound of a needle on the record player and I saw Devin queuing up some music. Carl licked the joint closed and lit it in a fluid motion, inhaling deeply and closing his eyes. Here you go, man. I took the joint and took a deep hit, a bit too deep. I could feel the hot, burning coal in the back of my throat. I tried to stifle my cough as I got up to pass it to Grace, but I failed, hacking like a pack a day smoker into my elbow. She smiled and took the joint. I self-consciously wiped tears from the corners of my eye. <laughs> Rookie shit. <laughs> you got a cough to get off. Devin responded back in his chair. I sat back down, a bit embarrassed but looser. Grace passed to Sandra. The man with the ascot declined with the wave but passed it to Devin. It went around until it was gone. Carl rolled up another. It was passed. It was gone. Carl rolled up another. It was passed. It was gone. The cycle played out over the next hours as the sky outside showed signs of an impending dawn. It was 4.30 a.m. by my watch, but I hadn't the presence of mind to care. Eh, you can't lie to yourself. That's the worst lie you can tell. That's poison fucking fruit. Devin spoke flatly. I lost track of the conversations between the beginning and the ending of his statement. I just don't really believe in an afterlife. I'm not lying to myself. I think when we're gone, we're just... Poof. Grace made gone. a poof motion with her hands. Right. We were talking about dying. I kind of agree with Grace, but I'm open to the other ideas. Uh, I guess I'm more or less agnostic. Do you believe in ghosts? Devin turned his attention to me. Carl was unrolling all the spent roaches and emptying them into a crusty glass bowl. The room was hazy and smelt of resin and stale beer. Not really. Not like how they are in the movies. Maybe there are presences or some shit, but like Casper, nah. I do. Sandra chimed in, looking up from the singing bowl I hadn't noticed her playing. It sounds sort of blending into the smoky din, as if emanating from the walls. You do? Yeah, don't you? No. No, I don't. I mean, I'm open to the idea if I experienced something supernatural, but I don't just believe it because I want to. I'd be terrified to die if I didn't believe there was something after. You just think we're nothing then? I guess. I just try to live my life and not get bogged down with shit I can't answer. Carl, help me out here. Man, I don't fucking care what comes next. I'll find out when it's my time to find out. I ain't afraid to die. Carl lit the bowl as he spoke. You're not even a little bit afraid? Devin responded clearly desperate for someone to back him up, seemingly oblivious to the fact Sandra already had. Straight up, Dev, I am not afraid to die one goddamn bit. Carl responded and passed the bowl back to me. You should be. The new voice came up and surprised us. The man with the ascot stubbed the cigarette out on the end table, not looking up from his whiskey. There was a hush, as if everyone all at once realized that nobody knew this man at all. The social dynamic of the party had bred a multitude of assumptions from each of us about who this man was and why he was here. I had assumed he was friends with one of the hosts. They probably assumed he was friends with me or a friend of a friend they didn't know. 
Nobody had thought to question it. Huh? Carl asked, dumbstruck. I slowly walked the ball over to Grace, looking at the man in the corner. I suddenly realized he was a quite bit older than any of us. Closer to 40 than 30. He looked up and made eye contact with me. With everyone. Maybe all at once. You should be terrified. Because there is something after death. And it is terrible. The man maintained eye contact with us as he spoke. Okay? Sandra's response broke the silence, setting the singing bowl on the coffee table. Oh, I've seen it. When I died. The man pulled another cigarette out of the case in his breast pocket, holding it near his mouth as he spoke. He didn't light it, suggesting he had more to say. But he didn't speak. All right, fuck off, dude. Who even are you? Carl asked the question, alleviating some of the tension. I was revived in the hospital. I am not selling you a line. It was ten years ago. The man finally lit the cigarette and exhaled a plume of smoke, slumping a little as he relaxed. So, no bright light? No feeling of warmth? Oh no, no, not at all. Nothing like that. The moment was absurd on its face, but the tension was palpable. It didn't feel absurd, and in a way it felt dangerous. The man held the cigarette in his teeth and moved to undo his ascot, as if to say we were in for a story and he needed to get comfortable. But that wasn't it. He dropped the ascot to the table, revealing a deep knotted rift of scar tissue that ran ear to ear. Grace or Sandra gasped. I felt my jaw slacken, an expression my mother used to call catching flies. I survived my own suicide. I won't attempt it again. I won't be here as long as I can because I know what comes next. There was a deep, impossible silent pause. All sound felt as if it had been stifled from the room and the only noise that could pierce it was this man's voice. As if he sensed the moment as well, he broke the silence. You, you shouldn't listen to me. Live your life believing I'm just another drunk at another party that you'll forget next week. It'll be better that way. I was happy to oblige him, but Carl fucked that up. No, fuck that. Describe it. A lake of fire, horned beasts. What did you see? Carl laughed unconvincingly. I can't describe it. That's just the thing. The physics. The geometry. We lack the language for it. I wish more than ever I left when Carl had dropped a cigarette in my drink. I'd be in home in bed. I would be asleep. I'd never have to think of this man again. I call bullshit. You're just fucking with us. The man smiled slightly, almost indicating that Carl was right. The smile was slight and brief, and the austere expression returned to his face. Would you like to see it? Fuck this, I thought. I'll bite. Sure. Show me. It doesn't always work. But if you place your fingers here on my throat, in the groove where I nicked my jugular vein, sometimes you'll catch a glimpse. No fucking way was I taking part in whatever this was. If I weren't so stoned, I probably would have laughed too. This was objectively ridiculous. 
Something about it seemed far more insidious than just a prank though, and I couldn't convince myself if it, if it was just a weed-filled paranoia that was running wild in my sleep-deprived mind. Carl shot up and walked over to the man, placing his fingers on the man's throat without hesitation, holding them there for a moment. There was a long and silent stretch, as if we had all stopped breathing for a moment out of fear we missed something. Carl took his fingers off the man's throat with a shrug. I didn't see shit. Devin and Sandra got up in unison as though rehearsed. Was it rehearsed? Was this a collective prank on me or something? Nah, no, no, that's the weed talking. They each took turns with their fingers on the man's throat, both returning to their seats without any visions of hell to speak of. I'm not going to do that. No way. Thank God Grace said no, because I didn't want to be the only one who didn't. Social pressure like that made me uncomfortable. But no way was I taking part in whatever this was. Oh, come on, Grace. You don't believe in anything anyway. I'm good. I don't need to touch a scar on a stranger's neck to validate that. Well, it doesn't always work, as I said. Count yourself lucky. The man spoke calmly, returning to his whiskey as if to give us permission to return to our merriment. None of us seemed very interested in doing that. I should probably head out. Finally mustering the presence of mind to do what I should have done hours ago. The desire to party seemed to have diminished from the other guests as well. Sandra got up and left the room silently. Devin shut off the record player. Carl set the bowl down. Uh, I should go too. I have to work in five fucking hours. Grace glanced at her wristwatch. I scoured the room for my jacket, finding it jammed into the couch behind me. It's not the horrors that are consuming me, but the vastness of that place. Just the sheer vastness. I stopped, one sleeve into my denim jacket. That voice was Carl. As I turned to look at him, I saw his eyes were closed, tears trickling through the lines in his cheek. Devin was turned away, staring out of the window, motionless. Carl. Are you all right, man? I looked to Grace and saw she was similarly frozen in the midst of gathering her things. The man was gone, an empty whiskey glass with a smoldering cigarette butt, the only marker he had ever been there. I moved closer to Carl, about to touch his shoulder but pausing. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a motion and I turned towards the door and I saw Sandra slowly enter, something in her hand. A loud bang split the air in half. I couldn't interpret what I was seeing. It was happening so quickly. Had it been Devin? Sandra? No. My eyes returned to Carl, or what had been Carl moments before. His body was slumped on the couch, the wall behind him a Jackson Pollock of red and maroon. The top half of his head gone. Under his body I could see the tip of a gun still smoking. The heat from the muzzle blurring the couch cushions beneath. Floral patterns quickly disappearing in a pool of deep red. I didn't have the time to react before Sandra raised her left arm, plunged the thing she was holding into Devin's neck. A kitchen knife. He didn't react. She did it several more times and he eventually fell limp to the ground. I began backing away, sure she would turn to Grace and I. She did not. 
She brought the knife to her own throat and began sawing at it like a stubborn piece of tough steak, blood pouring out. She brought her other hand up and used it like a lumberjack used a bow saw, arms tensing as the blade severed skin, fat, muscle, and bone. She fell to her knees and her head jerked back like a Pez dispenser, separating from her body as if on a hinge, nearly decapitated. I threw up violently, falling to my knees in the motion. Grace was sobbing. I was too. Where is he? The man. I didn't know how to respond. Grace was dialing 911. Uh, I think... Let's get outside. The sun came up as it always did. Grace and I sat on the stoop of the late Sandra Gomez's house as police, fire, and EMTs flooded in and out of the front door. Neither of us spoke. What do you even say in a moment like that? What could you say? The single thought that consumed us both didn't need to be said. We both understood as nobody else ever could. There were two explanations for what had transpired. Either the man was not a man at all, but some force, a ghost, a demon, something else. And he had been lying about the afterlife as some sort of game. Or he wasn't lying. And we'd be going to the same place as Devin, Carl, and Sandra in our own time. Neither possibility will quiet our minds. No. We didn't speak that morning because we didn't need to. These thoughts didn't need to be expressed. And they'd never been far from our minds. The Grinning Throat was written and directed by Kevin Klausman. Executive produced by Kevin Klausman, Chelsea Darling, and Sean Coughlin. Produced by Kevin Klausman. Narration by Omar Lewis. Additional voices by Chelsea Darling, Farah Tari, Patrick McRae, and Kevin Klausman. Engineering by Jeff Baer. Music by Kevin Klausman. Well... That sure won't help me sleep tonight. We hope you enjoyed that one as much as we did. We'll be on a brief hiatus as we prepare for our first full season coming October 7th. In the meantime, make sure to check out our Patreon, where we'll be posting some bonus content throughout the summer. <laughs>